This is Morning Air. This is about educating a people that for 40 years haven't been given the full truth. It's time now to speak the truth. When you do things to the best of your ability, keeping Jesus number one and doing everything you possibly can for His glory, that's a winner. You are called to make the light of Christ shine brightly in the world. Bringing the light of Christ to start your day. This is Morning Air with John Morales on Relevant Radio. Dear young people of the United States, praise be Jesus Christ. It's Friday, October 22nd. Good morning and welcome to this special edition of Morning Air on the Feast of St. John Paul II, the co-patron of Relevant Radio. I'm John Morales along with Glenn Leverance. It's great to be with you this morning. Thanks so much for joining us across America on the Relevant Radio Network and the Relevant Radio app. On Fridays, we always remember that this is the traditional day dedicated to the sacred heart of Jesus and the passion and death of our Lord Jesus Christ. On this feast of St. John Paul II, John Paul the Great, we have a special show planned for you dedicated to the life and legacy of St. John Paul II. Coming up in a few moments, Relevant Radio CEO Father Rocky, Father Francis Hoffman, who was ordained by St. John Paul II, will share his impressions of JP II and his historic papacy. A little bit later at the bottom of the hour, Jack Rigger, the co-founder of the John Paul II Renewal Center, will join us to talk about John Paul II's teachings, including the theology of the body and his love of young people. Later in the next hour, we're going to take a look at the Pope, at the culture of life, and also meet a JP2 priest. Plus, we'll also bring you another episode of Glenn's Story Corner, all that and much more coming up this hour here on Morning Air. As always, we begin every show uh, giving thanks to the Lord through the intercession of the Mother of God, our Blessed Mother Mary. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Our Lady of Guadalupe, patroness of the Americas, patroness of life and of relevant radio, pray for us. St. Joseph, in this year of St. Joseph, pray for us. St. John Paul II, co-patron of relevant radio, pray for us. We always invoke the Holy Spirit when we pray. Come, Holy Spirit, come. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Now, in the upcoming month of November, we remember the holy souls in purgatory, our family and friends who have passed from this earthly life. Join us November 2nd through the 10th as we pray a novena for your departed loved ones during daily mass at noon central, the chapel of divine mercy with Drew Mariani at 3 central, and the family rosary across America with Father Rocky at 7 central. Go to relevantradio.com slash souls to submit your list of departed loved ones who really need your prayers. As always, our power scripture from the playbook of life is from Jeremiah 29, 13. The Old Testament prophet says, you shall seek me and shall find me when you shall seek me with all your heart. 
This verse is very relevant uh, on this day, on a Friday, when we remember our Lord's Sacred Heart. This is what true devotion to the Sacred Heart of Jesus is all about. It's not just about going through the motions with our faith. It's about giving Jesus the Lord your entire heart. It's about seeking Christ with everything you have, your whole heart, making Jesus the Lord number one, and then everything else falls into place. We always pray with great confidence and with all your heart, Jesus. I trust in you. Now today, the Catholic Church is celebrating the feast of St. John Paul II. For a whole generation, St. John Paul II was the only pope that many of us knew. Today, we'd like to pay tribute to this giant of a man who echoed the words of Christ throughout his storied pontificate, saying, Be not afraid. I greet you all in the name of Jesus Christ. He's the way, the truth, and the life. And now joining us is Father Francis Hoffman, Father Rocky, the CEO of Relevant Radio, to talk about this feast of St. John Paul II. Father Rocky's a priest of Opus Dei. He was ordained by Pope St. John Paul II. And of course, uh, you can honor Our Lady of the Rosary and pray the Rosary for Life this month with Father Rocky for the Family Rosary across America with all your prayers and petitions every single night of the week, 7 p.m. Central here on Relevant Radio, the Relevant Radio app, and even on your smart TV. Father Rocky, great to be with you here on this big feast day of our patron, our co-patron of Relevant Radio. Hey, it's great to be with you, John, on such a special day. And this Friday, the 22nd of October, which is the feast day of St. John Paul II. And it's a relatively new feast day in the church because he was canonized, let's see, seven years ago now. It was in 2014 by Pope Francis, and um, that's amazing because uh, that was within nine years of his passing. He died uh, in April, remember, April 2005, and often people are canonized as saints for 100 years or 200 years, but to be canonized within nine years of dying, that's a big, big statement. I mean, the other ones who were canonized uh, relatively soon after the death, at least in my memory, were St. Mother Teresa, right? She was a great saint founder of the Missionaries Church, St. Padre Pio, he was uh, canonized in 2002, and St. Josemaria, the founder of Opus Dei, they were all, he was canonized within 27 years of dying, but for a pope to be canonized as a saint within nine years is really quite phenomenal. So today, the 22nd is his feast day, because he was elected on October 16th, uh, the year 1978, but he was installed um, to sort of took possession of the throne of St. Peter on the 22nd. So that's why we celebrate that feast day today. And, um, you know, this is, this is a great blessing for the church that we've had um, such a great saint to, to reign as the successor of St. Peter for such a long time. That was from 1978 to 2005. That's, you know, 27, 28 years, really quite extraordinary. And Father Rocky, as St. John Paul II is so special to us at Relevant Radio. He's our co-patron. He's had such an influence uh, not only on the network, but also on you personally. You were ordained uh, by uh, JP II. You're a priest of John Paul II. What is some of the impressions? What comes to mind? There's so much that we can talk about when sure. it comes to uh, John Paul II. Well, you know, Pope um, St. John Paul II was sort of an outbound type of pope. He was into evangelization. Right? He, he was never going to be satisfied just staying in the offices in St. Peter's. He went out to the world. 
And that's the impression I think everybody got of him early on. Wow, this guy goes everywhere. He gets on a jet, goes to the four corners of the world, and massive crowds come out to hear him speak about Jesus Christ. And it was in the early 2000s that Relamarita started, and some of the major benefactors at that time had made a trip to Rome, and they met St. John Paul, and they really felt touched by the Holy Spirit to put their resources into this new evangelization. What's the new evangelization? What's well, the same old evangelization? You go out to the four corners of the world and make disciples of all nations, right, from the uh, end of the Gospel of St. Matthew. But it was a new sort of energy, and it was a re-evangelization of countries that had kind of grown lukewarm in their Christianity. So right from the beginning, St. John Paul II had a big impact on the early founders of Relevant Radio. I was in the right place at the right time to be ordained as a priest uh, by St. John Paul II because from 1982 to 1992, when he ordained priests every year on Trinity Sunday in Rome, which is you know late May, early June, uh, among the priests he'd ordained were uh, fellows who were members of Opus Dei. And I think in those um, 10 years, he ordained 300 priests uh, for Opus Dei. I was in that last class. And um, there were about 40 of us that year, and the three of them were from the United States. Uh, Father Bob Gall, um, who was uh, from the Midwest and went to Berkeley to get his master. I think he got his degree in engineering. Father Steve Brock, who converted to the Catholic faith at the University of Chicago. He's a, a doctor in philosophy and myself. And, um, but I remember when he was elected, October 16, 1978. I would have been a sophomore in college, and um, it was quite extraordinary. He wasn't Italian. Right, And he was young, he was good-looking, he was athletic, and the first words he spoke were, do not be afraid. Right After the um, customary greeting, um, praise be Jesus Christ, he said, do not be afraid. And he immediately established himself as a courageous leader, and I saw that many times in his pontificate. I remember when he was in Washington, D.C., on October 7th, 1979, it was his first pastoral visit to the United States, like about a year after he was elected, and there were huge crowds everywhere, Boston, Washington, D.C., New York, Chicago, even out at Cornfield in the middle of Iowa. I saw him here in Chicago, and just massive crowds. It was really something. And to hear a pope speak in your language, English, was amazing. You know, wow, I can understand this guy. And, um, you know, when he was there in Washington, D.C., celebrating Mass on the Washington Mall, uh, in the background you saw the U.S. Capitol, and there's John Paul II, John Paul the Great, standing there on the platform with that silver crozier in his hand, his silver hair blowing in the wind, and he was given kind of a pro-life homily. And I'll never forget it because he said, and when the life of the unborn child in the womb is threatened, he said, we will stand up, you know, kind of this booming baritone voice and proclaim that no one has the right to take the life of an unborn child. And uh, that was, uh, among other things, and, and I was like, holy smokes, I wonder if he knows he's on national TV. Like, everybody's broadcasting this right now, ABC, NBC, CBS, and I wonder if he knows what he's saying is really politically incorrect. And I, I figured, yeah, he, he knows all that. I said, well, this guy's courageous. This guy is courageous. And I thought at that very moment, John, somebody's going to shoot him one day. That's what they do to courageous people. And that's what happened. You know, some years later, we don't know all the details of it, but you can connect the dots. You know that he was a threat to the Soviet hegemony over weaker countries in Eastern Europe through Marxism and through totalitarianism and socialism. And he was a threat to that. Why was he a threat? Because he was big and he had big bombs and he had a huge army? No, he was a threat because he spoke the truth and he spoke it with charity. 
and um, it, it really captured people's imagination. That's why it was a threat. And ultimately, that regime uh, tumbled. So he was an outbound pope, right? He was not going to sit at home and wait for people to come to him. He was going to go out to the people. And it really changed our expectation, understanding of the papacy. He went out to meet the youth, and the youth responded in huge numbers. And there's a paradox, because he wasn't young, but he was young at heart. JP2, we love you. Yeah, you heard that all over the place. Juan Pablo, segundo, te quiero todo el mundo, right? So that's the way it goes. It rolls in, in Spanish. John Paul II, we love you. And he was courageous. And people, I think people respond to that courage. Um, in many ways, he was courageous. Yet he was prudent at the same time. And he was able to get people to work together. He was able to keep the church united. And, um, and at the same time, you know, he would be criticized both on the left and the right. You know, I don't like to use those terms, but they're easy to understand, right? And so what is his legacy to the church? You know, I think it's still too early to tell. I mean, he's only been dead 15 years, right? History, um, you know, takes sometimes decades and centuries for everything to sort out. But I think he was singular on the stage of human history, at least in the 20th century. I think that speaks for itself because so many heads of nations came to his funeral, right? Um, that, that was quite singular, um, does he rank up there with uh, like a Gregory the Great or Leo the Great or Hildebrandus of the early um, Middle Ages? Um, yes, quite possibly. Um, you know, I always had the feeling, you know, a guy like that comes on the world stage once in a thousand years. Is he the guy most responsible for the fall of, uh, you know, the Soviet Union and Marxist domination and communism, the Berlin Wall? There's a lot to that. There were other players um, in motion, Margaret Thatcher in England and Ronald Reagan and the whole U.S. military-industrial complex. But when John Paul was asked about that, he said, you know, it, sooner or later it was going to cave in on its own weight, right? Was it Our Lady of Fatima? You know, because that's, that's really quite fascinating. You know, he was almost killed on May 13th, 1981, the Feast of Our Lady of Fatima, sort of, well, not sort of, really, in fulfillment of the prophecies that Our Lady had given to Sister Lucia, which she divulged to the public in 1941 in a book, and yet, you know, 40 years later, well, it comes true. And then, a few years later, he consecrates Russia to her Immaculate Heart in union with all the bishops of the world, and then who shows up? Mikhail Gorbachev. And by 1989, Gorbachev is driving down the Via Conciliazione in Rome, in his Russian limousine, which is a real nice limousine. The Russians know how to make limousines, right? With Sikorsky helicopters above. I know because I was down there that day. I was studying in Rome at that time. I said, this, is, this happens once in a thousand years, right? The, the great standoff between freedom and slavery, they're meeting each other. And, and next thing you know, a Berlin Wall collapses and not a single shot is fired. So that's part of his legacy, right? The geopolitical legacy. But I think, I think, you know, and again, it's way too really tell. The church may remember him uh, for uh, one thing more than anything else, and that is giving us the luminous mysteries to the rosary. Because anyone who prays the rosary, more and more people are praying the rosary, that enters into their life on a regular basis. And it's on Thursdays, right? And um, the five luminous mysteries deal with the life of Christ. And the fifth luminous mystery is institution of the Holy Eucharist. And here's the Pope who kind of recovered and helped us uh, set in motion recovery of reverence for the Holy Eucharist, centrality of the Holy Eucharist. And he died in a year, which was the year of the Holy Eucharist, right? And he, he did so much to kind of bring balance back into uh, liturgy that um, had been, I would say, excessive um, 
Oh, creativity with the liturgy post-Vatican II. You know, and these things happen after any Vatican Council. It takes years, decades to kind of hit that equilibrium and assess, okay, what was really the positive benefit to that? So outbound pope, uh, you know, very engaged with youth, courageous guy, clear in his teachings. Here's another legacy, the Catechism of the Catholic Church. Um, that was a monumental achievement. I think it was cardinal law, may he rest in peace, and let's pray for the repose of his soul because, you know, we know the story there, um, who uh, mentioned in 1988, yes, was it 1988? It could have been 1984, at a synod in Rome, mentioned the Pope, we need a catechism because in the wake of Vatican II, people don't know what the Church teaches. And it took, I don't know, seven years, eight years to draft the catechism. No catechism, um, universal catechism of the Church had been produced since the Council of Trent, right? That was 440 years ago. And this one came out, and it had the participation of all the bishops of the world. This is unique. That's never happened in the history of the Church. And uh, that's part of our guiding principles at Brother Radio. We are faithful to the uh, Church and the catechism of the Catholic Church. It's a clear statement of what we believe, and it's a clear norm for our moral life. So that's a huge achievement. Um, the revision of the Code of Canon Law was a huge achievement. Uh, the Luminous Mysteries, his encyclical on life, the gospel of life, defending innocent life, and also advocating for the abolishment of the death penalty. And he didn't say it's inherently wrong. He just said we're better than that. We can do better than that, right? And also, you know, and then maybe in terms of encyclicals, um, the one that drives a lot of people crazy is perhaps the one that's most significant. From 1994, 1995, it was called Veritatis Splendor, The Splendor of Truth. Why is that significant? Because he came down um, very clearly that there is such a thing as right and wrong. Now, I know that seems basic. Every parent knows that and tries to inculcate in their children. You know, Charlie, Bill, Susie, Mary, that was right or that was wrong. Don't they? There's a very clear sense— that, it, that certain things, independent of your intention, independent of your desire, independent of all the circumstances, they're always wrong, right? So, for instance, taking the life of an innocent person is always wrong, right? And this is known as what is something we would call intrinsically evil. So it's not dependent upon your intention or your feelings or, your, or the circumstances of the situation, and so um, many people have resisted that. And they say, that's too hard, that's too harsh. Um, but other people say, gosh, that's refreshing. You know, that's, that helps me get out of jail, the jail of relativism. Um, I got a firm place to stand on, right? And, of course, at some level, we all agree that's true because every single civil government in the world, as far as I know, has a prison system. If people really believed that the morality of action is solely dependent on your subjective criteria, then we wouldn't have prison systems. There'd be no consequences for our actions, right? But there are consequences. So that was, that was huge, and it's still uh, quite uh, greatly um, discussed. So um, we do pray to St. John Paul at Relevant Radio for his intercession, that we might have his energy and his optimism 
and not to be afraid of anything. Just go out there with the love of Christ and the charity of Christ in our heart to bring the good news of Christ to everyone. Absolutely. Every day here on Morning Air, we always invoke uh, our co-patron, St. John Paul II, to pray for us uh, on every single show. Uh, Father, uh, a couple of things that come to mind here before we wrap up. Um, Open the doors to Christ. He was all about Christ. It was about bringing Christ to the world. And he was a former actor, a media guy. He understood exactly how to get the message. And he was all about the Blessed Mother as well. He, uh, Totus Tuus, dedicate his entire pontificate to the Blessed Mother. What can we as everyday Catholics learn from this great example, this holy example, this example of holiness of St. John Paul II? Sure. I think we can learn from his example that uh, he prayed every day before Mass. He'd go into his chapel and he'd kneel down and he would have his head in his hands and he would pray. I don't know what he prayed for, but he had millions of pieces of paper of intentions he prayed for, right? And his shield was very, um, very unique. It was very simple, the papal coat of arms. It was a cross with an M at the bottom. It didn't have any of that um, heraldry, which is so commonly seen in that stuff. So he, he was really aiming towards that simplicity. And, um, and that way he was quite unique, um, that simplicity, right? And the one, another way he was unique was he chose two names, John Paul. The first time a pope in history had two names, John Paul. So he was kind of beckoning continuity there to John the Twenty Third and Paul the Sixth, And that was followed by his successor. And, um, and then Francis chose a completely unique name, right? Pope Francis. Um, Benedict went back to the past, you know, so you see this kind of, you know, this, um, the, uh, you know, the vicissitudes of time. So with John Paul II, greatly devoted to relating, he prayed the rosary every day, he promoted that. And he was very devoted to the Holy Eucharist. He prayed in front of the Blessed Sacrament every day, he prayed his breviary. We know that he would set aside 20 minutes every Friday to meditate on the Stations of the Cross. And we know that he considered his very first duty as Pope was to pray. And he said that. The first Sunday uh, address from the Angelus window in Rome said, my first duty is to pray. And sometimes people think prayer is um, irresponsible excuse for not um, addressing issues. You got to do more than pray, Father. You got to work. I get that, but you're not going to work courageously and you pray. All right. How does that work? Because prayer brings you, if it's real prayer, all right, not just as Pope Francis says, praying like a parrot. Prayer will ultimately bring you to look at Jesus Christ on the cross, and the nails in the hands, the crown of thorns on the head, and you have to confront your fear of suffering. And until you get rid of your fear of suffering, um, you will be confined to act courageously. So the man or woman who really prays will lose their fear of suffering, and then they'll act courageously. And so when people don't act courageously, you know, maybe there isn't real prayer there because there's, there's fear. And I think fear is the number one issue out there, whether you're on one side of the political divide or the other. If you listen closely to so much of the political, political conversation today on either side of the aisle, it's driven by one common theme, fear. Fear of this or fear of that, but fear, always driven by fear. And what did John Paul II say when he was elected? Do not be afraid. Be not afraid. We're going to have to leave it right there. There's so much uh, that we could talk about the life of uh, St. John Paul II. But Father Rocky, I'll never forget when Archbishop uh, Listecki said to me that when he met uh, John Paul II, he realized that he was face-to-face with greatness. You were ordained by greatness. Thanks so much uh, for your insights, for sharing. I was lucky. Right in the right place at the right time. St. John Paul II, pray for us. Pray for us. Thank you so much, Father Rocky. Thanks, John.
Father Francis Hoffman, Father Rocky, the CEO of Relevant Radio. We need to take a break when Morning Air continues. Jack Riggard, the co-founder of the John Paul II Renewal Center, will join us to talk about John Paul II's teachings, including the theology of the body and his love of the youth. Stay with us. There's so much more to come on this special St. John Paul II edition of Morning Air after this. I would like to invite each of you to listen careful to God's in your heart. Listen to his voice. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Open your hearts, open up your hearts to Christ. The deepest joy there is in life is the joy that comes from God and is found in Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Jesus Christ is the hope, is my hope. He is the hope of the world. The immortal words of Pope St. John Paul II, John Paul the Great. Welcome back to this special edition of Morning Air on the Feast of St. John Paul II, the co-patron of Relevant Radio. I'm John Morales. Thanks so much for joining us. Uh, Coming up a little bit later this half hour, we'll have another episode of Glenn's Story Corner. Our number, if you want to be part of the show, 888-914-9149. That's 888-914-9149. There are many who believe that before it's all said and done, John Paul II will be the greatest pope since Peter the Rock. Pope St. John Paul II said these timeless words in his homily at World Youth Day in 1993 in Denver that are still relevant today. Do not be afraid to go out on the streets and into the public places like the first apostles who preached Christ and the good news of salvation in the squares of cities, towns, and villages. This is no time to be ashamed of the gospel. It is a time to preach it from the rooftops. Now joining us is Jack Rigger, someone who was deeply influenced by St. John Paul II. Jack is the co-founder of the John Paul II Renewal Center and presently serves as its managing director. He's also the host of the Become Who You Are podcast. In his earlier life, Jack was a professional chef with a degree in hospitality management. Good morning, Jack. Welcome to Morning Air. Thanks so much for being with us. It is great to be with you here on this feast day of uh, your hero and my hero. Yeah, John, it's great to be with you, brother. Hey, thank you so much. You know, when I was listening to that intro and I heard John Paul's voice, and you do a great personation, John, of him. I remember speaking to you one day, and, and I and you say it just like John Paul just said it, and it gave me goosebumps just like it did this morning. So thank you for that. Jack, I got to tell you that I, I get emotional when I hear uh, the voice of, of mm. St. John Paul II. Yeah. Uh, his voice uh, just resonates in my soul and my heart, and I know that he also has touched so many millions uh, over the years. And so yeah. there's so much that we can talk about uh, his life. Uh, but I, I wanted to ask you, you know, obviously you, you find founded an organization uh, named after him. Uh, he has mm. meant a lot to you. Can you put into words what uh, Pope St. John Paul II has meant for you personally, Jack? Yeah, you know, uh, 
it, 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 it's a life changer, you know, when you start to understand the depth of, of, of John Paul. You know, he would ask those deep questions, uh, John, wouldn't he? You know, who am I? You know, what's my purpose? Why were we created male and female? How do you find happiness, you know, here on earth and love that satisfies? And these are the questions that we all want. And then he started, I remember, you know, you mentioned World Youth Day in the intro, and, and I remember a friend describing John Paul coming in there and landing on the, in the helicopter, and, he, and that those words, be not afraid, you know. And, and those idealists, this is what got to me, these idealistic young people came to John Paul, and he said, you know, how do we eliminate the, the evil and the suffering we see in the whole world? And John Paul said those famous words, right, the future of humanity passes by way of the family. Well, I was struggling in, in uh, my marriage and family at that time and when I was a younger guy, and and, and I heard those words, and I said, well, wh- wh- what do you mean by that? Do you know how we eliminate the pain and suffering in the whole world? And he saw this, John. He saw that, that you know, uh, what was coming prophetically was this, was this really undermining of marriage and the family. And I thought, yeah, I'm caught up in this. And he, he describes it in his work, right, his, his theology, the body, and his other works, you know. And he just hits the heart of it, and it connected with my heart. And he gives you, here's what he does when he brings Christ in and he starts to open this up. He gives you uh, not only the information of how to get out of this quagmire of, 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 of dislike and hatred that comes into relationships and stuff, but he also gives you the power of Jesus Christ, right? That, that, and, and I'll finish kind of with this, that, that Jesus didn't come to us, you know, for sin management, John. You know, he came to give us the power, and 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 this is this is what that intro was all about that you just played. You know, Christ pours Himself into us, and and I just remember kneeling at the foot of the cross and 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 being away from the church for many years, uh, John, and and hearing and 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 you know you know looking up at Christ and said, "You have a plan for my life," and and I know He must have smiled down at me and said, "Of course, I have a plan for your life. You're not following it very well, right?" But but then He gave me the 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 tools. Uh, to to know Christ, and He just did it so well that it, it's a life changer, John. I'm mean, I'm eternally, and I mean eternally grateful to to John Paul II. Well, Jack, uh, no question that uh, Saint John Paul II was a, a visionary. He could see down the road the importance mm, of defending sure. marriage and the family. And we see today, uh, 16 years after he's left this world, uh, that the marriage and the family is under attack more than ever before. Mm. Why do you think yeah, it's so sure. important to, to promote uh, the, the true teachings on marriage and the family and the culture of life that St. John Paul II uh, preached for all those years? Yeah, well, I, right after I get done talking to you, I'm going to get in my car and I'm heading out to a high school in Sterling, Illinois, uh, to do a high school retreat out there with my team. And, and, and John Paul would say like this, and this is what I'm going to tell those young people. He said, you know, the more you young people are deprived, really. I call it the violence of the lie, John, and, 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 and that's when we don't tell them the whole truth. Look, we're free to make our own decisions, right? God gave us that freedom. But today, the culture does not give you the whole picture. It doesn't tell us how we're created and the beauty of that. So John Paul would say, you know, the more the world deprives young people and all of us of what is true, good, and beautiful, the more we'll earnestly, and they will earnestly yearn for it, that the vacuum that's left right here, John, of modern secularism uh, secularism is actually a fragrant invitation when they hear it for young people to recover the sacred. So, so to get to your question, the crux of it, you know, the problem facing so many uh, families today and the church today, where would we begin, right? 
And, and may I suggest through the words of John Paul, we begin with the truth. You know, it's not the body of Christ dying in large part for lack of truth, right? I mean, isn't that why? And so he says, you know, who will stand, right, boldly and proclaim what St. Augustine, you made us for yourself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until they rest in you. So it's really the truth of how we are. You know, we, 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 we look at ourselves in, in this materialistic world, uh, John, as just uh, body parts, right, uh, objects to use, and we see another person, not, not as someone to be a life, to be a self-giving, the law of the gift, right, to, to receive love from God, and then, and, you know, he pours that out to us, and then we pour that out into the world. But we don't see that because we're disconnected from the source of love, right? So what do we do? We start to grasp, to fill that. And we even do this in marriages. We don't mean to. We just don't know. So we're looking for a, a, a husband for a wife, a wife for a husband to fulfill my infinite desires. And, and John, that most of the sexual confusion and addiction and unhappiness and relationships that are breaking up. And, and I'm speaking about this all the time and meeting these people face to face, brother, so I know it's from trying to fill the infinite desires of our heart with finite things. And, and so we're grasping, you know. And so John Paul opened it up and said, no, I know what you're looking for. And, and, he, and he explains to us this beauty and this power of marriage as a reflection of, the, uh, of Trinitarian love itself. You know, in the beginning, he would talk about, right, in his theology about in the beginning before sin. What did that look like? And he brings us into that story. And he says, you know, the reason Jesus tells stories, right, why does Jesus tell parables and stories? It's because your life unfolds like a story, not like a science project or a math project, you know, or, or math formula. We, I love math. I love science. But, but that doesn't tell me about love, you know, about how I should live. And, and, and so that's what this unpacks, you know. It said, you know, Einstein knew that well, right? Einstein said everything could be described scientifically, but it would make no sense. It'd be like listening to the most beautiful music and, and, and describing it as a variation of wave pressure, you know, me, uh, vibrating membrane in my ear, right? And you say, yeah, well, yeah, that's scientifically a way to describe it. But, but does that make sense? Is that the way we describe beautiful music? And he describes love that way, John. And when you start to understand the beauty of love, you go, whoa, I want that, right? I want that. Jack, we have less than two minutes. Um, just your, your thoughts on, on the importance of the teachings of uh, John Paul II uh, on human sexuality, uh, on marriage, on the family in this day and age, and um, how your organization, uh, the John Paul II Renewal Center, is trying to get that message out. Yeah, thank you. I just got back from Denver, and I'll be heading to Ohio uh, uh, coming up right after this. And 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 really, what I'm what we're doing now so often is working with the parishes to bring the teens and the parents together in a room and unpacking the beauty of this together. What we found out, what I found out over the years, I've been doing this for like almost 15 years now. Uh, and it's such a beautiful uh, time because the evil is out there. I mean, the evil is out there, the devastation in, in families, what it's doing to our kids. Um, and, and so what I bring them all together now, and we unpack it together. It's something beautiful. The Holy Spirit works beautifully. When you give the parents and, the, and, and, the, and their teens, their kids, a, dial, a way to dialogue, right, a vocabulary so they can talk about this at home and unpack this at home. And then we work with the parishes so they can continue doing this. So, yeah, it's a powerful movement. It gets the family together. It brings Christ-centered back into the family, the power of prayer, the power of the sacraments. You have to be 
connected to the source of life and love, right? Well, Jack, and, we uh, have to so leave it right there. Uh, we're up against uh, the clock. Uh, your website, jp2renew.org. Jack, thanks so yeah, much uh, thank for you. being with us. Really, really appreciate it. Yeah, hey, God love you. Thank you so much for for allowing me to, to talk on the feast day of John Paul II. What an honor. It's been a joy. Jack Rigard, co-founder and managing director of the John Paul II Renewal Center. We're going to take a short break when Morning Air returns. Bishop Daniel Muggenberg, the new bishop of Reno, Nevada, will look ahead to this Sunday's gospel. Stay with us. There's much more to come after this. Catholic Order of Foresters is proud to sponsor the Relevant Radio studio line. For information about employment opportunities and flexible premium life insurance plans, visit relevantradio.com slash Forrester. Get connected to the conversation. Call us now at 888-914-9149. You're listening to Morning Air with John Morales on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. It's a beautiful day. And welcome back to Morning Air on another Friday dedicated to the Sacred Heart of Jesus and the Feast of St. John Paul II. I'm John Morales. It's good to be with you. And now it's time to look ahead to this Sunday's Gospel. Always remember that the Word of God in the Gospels is the good news of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's powerful. When the Gospel, the Book Eternal, is proclaimed, Christ is passing by. Jesus is speaking directly to you. So listen carefully as Bishop Daniel Muggenberg, the Bishop of Reno, Nevada, shares his weekly reflection on this Sunday's Gospel with our very own Glenn Leverance. Our Gospel reading for this 30th Sunday in Ordinary Time comes from Mark chapter 10. As Jesus was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a sizable crowd, Bartimaeus, a blind man, the son of Timaeus, sat by the roadside begging. On hearing that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have pity on me. And many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he kept calling out all the more, Son of David, have pity on me. Jesus stopped and said, Call him. So they called the blind man, saying to him, Take courage, get up, Jesus is calling you. He threw aside his cloak, sprang up, and came to Jesus. Jesus said to him in reply, What do you want me to do for you? The blind man replied to him, Master, I want to see. Jesus told him, Go your way, your faith has saved you. Immediately he received his sight and followed him on the way. And time now to dive into that gospel reading for the 30th Sunday in Ordinary Time from Mark chapter 10, talking with Bishop Daniel Muggenberg from the Diocese of Reno, Nevada. Always great to have you along, Bishop Muggenberg. Always great to be here, Glenn. Interesting gospel passage here as our Lord continues his journey to Jerusalem and another story of healing this time. Well, but this isn't just any story of healing. Um, We need to remember two things when we read this passage because that will help us to properly interpret it. The first is, if you remember back a couple of months ago, when Jesus began his journey to Jerusalem, he met a blind man on the way at the beginning of his journey. Um, and he uh, first began to heal that blind man, um, but he is, his sight was not fully restored. He said that he saw people, but they looked like trees, and so Jesus had to go back and continue that healing of that blind man. 
And then Jesus uh, undertook his 10-chapter journey to Jerusalem, um, in which he has now taught the disciples about how to be great disciples. And that teaching culminates now in this scene of once again meeting a blind man. But this particular scene shows us the, the ultimate example of discipleship through the life and action of Bartimaeus. Good example, too, of how God to this day continues sometimes to bring people to him through physical infirmity or hardship. Uh, I would say that that's a very common uh, way in which the Lord draws us to him. Oftentimes, we come to Jesus out of our need. And sometimes it can be a crisis or it can be a physical infirmity or whatever it is. It's something in our vulnerability that brings us to Jesus. And it's a moment of need. And the Lord always uses those situations as an invitation to relationship and discipleship. Um, We don't often see it that way. And sometimes we fail to accept the greater gift uh, because we're only asking for the lesser gift. But we need to always realize that um, anytime we meet people in need, that can really be um, an opportunity to invite them not only to, um, to experience mercy by satisfying their need, but more importantly, to invite them to meet Jesus because of that need. We see in this passage, uh, Bartimaeus was just sitting there alongside the road, both sitting and waiting, uh, literally and figuratively. Yeah, that's a way of saying that he was going nowhere in his life. You know, uh, he couldn't he couldn't do anything except sit there and beg, relying on the mercy of others. But he himself was not moving. And this passage is full of movement as Jesus is going to Jerusalem. You know, people are going with Jesus to Jerusalem, but Bartimaeus can't do it. Uh, he's being held back, and it's in that 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 state uh, that state of um, um, inability to enter into the journey with Jesus um, that he starts to call out for help, um, and uh, and that's a, a call that is not welcomed at first. You know, the disciples um, really really want to push him away because he isn't part of their group already. And but Jesus is even teaching us through the poor action of the disciples. Um, Jesus is teaching us that everyone whom we meet on our Christian way is a potential disciple. And that's how we need to see them. That's how we need to respond to them and how we need to care for them. Well, Bishop Muggenberg, that continues to be a problem to today where uh, sometimes believers think, hey, you got to be one of us before you can hang out with us and experience Jesus. Oh, and Pope Francis is really speaking to that mistaken attitude very strongly in his um, teachings to the church and asking us to be a missionary church, uh, you know, one that doesn't just become a private club for the saved, but one that actively realizes that Jesus wants to bring the world to him through us. And if we are an obstacle to that encounter, or if we are hesitant in that invitation, that we can't be the the disciples and the instruments that Jesus needs us to be. So yeah, very much so. The disciples needed to understand their ministry, not one as keeping people away from Jesus, but rather, as we will see, as, as people who facilitate the encounter with Jesus. And they will do that once Jesus um, tells them to call him. Then the disciples begin to act as collaborators and facilitators uh, with Jesus rather than as obstacles. So we, we need to hear the Lord telling us the same thing. When we see someone in the course of our day, we need to hear the voice of Jesus saying to us, call him, call her, minister to them. Interesting and also good for us to note, too, that uh, even though the disciples were kind of getting it wrong at first, uh, as a matter of fact, the Lord used them to retrieve Bartimaeus. 
It's true. You know what? Um, Jesus, Jesus isn't afraid to use us as weak um, and, and as sinful instruments, you know, who oftentimes give in to our, our failures or, or uh, faults. Um, Jesus knows that he can still work through us despite that, and he does that through these disciples. And I think that's good news for all of us. Bishop Daniel Muggenberg taking a look at Sunday's Gospel reading out of Mark 10 with us today here. As we continue, I like the, uh, the interesting background in the word arise. <laughs> yeah, we see Jesus um, healing a lot of people in the gospel and telling them in one way or another to rise. You know, it, it isn't that Jesus is just saying to Bartimaeus, get up off the ground, although that it does have that connotation. But more importantly, that word rise um, is, is a verb that's used to describe the resurrection of Jesus. So Jesus isn't just calling Bartimaeus to a momentary, you know, encounter by standing up and visiting with him, but rather Jesus is wanting to share with Bartimaeus um, his very risen life. And so that becomes, uh, in a real sense, a baptismal invitation. And we see that baptismal image continuing when we are told that Bartimaeus threw aside his cloak. Now that's important because a person's clothing was a symbol of their identity. And in baptism, we actually change our clothing when we are baptized. That's what a baptismal garment is all about, a change of identity. So we see Bartimaeus actually changing his identity now in response to this, um, this gift, this command of Jesus to rise and, uh, and him throwing off his former identity, his former cloak, and he's now going to become a disciple. If you ever wondered if the Word is alive and active today, how many have thought of this passage in that way? Uh, some great stuff there. Also, it might seem simple on the, on the face of it, but Jesus asks Bartimaeus, what can he do for him? So he really gets that opportunity to ask for anything. So we have a very fascinating development in the conversation between Bartimaeus and Jesus. You see, Bartimaeus began by um, calling out to Jesus as son of David and saying, have pity on me or have mercy on me. And the Greek word for mercy is very close um, to, the, to the Greek word um, for money. And, uh, and so it could have very well been the case that Bartimaeus was asking Jesus for a handout initially. All right, and we can understand that because that's what he was doing. He was begging along the side of the road. So he may have seen Jesus as the big fish, you know, uh, who was coming his way that day. But when Jesus actually speaks to Bartimaeus personally, personally in relationship, and he says to Bartimaeus, what do you want me to do for you? Bartimaeus has a decision. He can either ask for that momentary gift that will get him through the, the, the day but will leave him unchanged, and that would be, you know, the gift of alms. Or Bartimaeus can ask for that gift that will fundamentally change his life. Not necessarily make his life easier, because now he can't sit by the roadside every day. If he gets his sight back, then he has to live, learn to live a new life. But Bartimaeus does it. He has courage. He asks for the gift that will change his life, rather than the gift that will just get him by the way he is. And that's an important insight for us, because oftentimes, what do we pray for? Oftentimes, we pray for God to simply take away the consequences of our bad decisions. You know, that doesn't necessarily change us. That just keeps us the way we are. Um, 
But Jesus wants us to really pray for that gift that will transform us, the, 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 the gift that will be able to make us good and faithful disciples and his instrument in the world. And finally, our Lord's uh, last instruction to Bartimaeus to, to go, and he's to become a kind of a missionary disciple now with his, uh, his new gift of sight. Yes, and whenever we hear that phrase, go your way, we need to be very careful to not hear that in the sense of go away. Right? Jesus is not sending Bartimaeus away. That command, go, um, actually derives its power from the um, angel who appears after the resurrection and tells the disciples, go. It is a verb of mission, um, not a verb of simply going away. So when Jesus tells Bartimaeus, go, he is telling him, now go on mission. Your faith has saved you. You know, your perseverance, your insight to request for a transforming gift, your willingness to now take on this new identity, uh, even in the face of the earliest persecutions, which is why he needed to have courage. Jesus is saying to him, go, Bartimaeus, go on mission. And Bartimaeus, who received his sight, the first thing he does with that new gift of sight is to follow Jesus. He uses the gift that he has received as an expression of discipleship. He follows Jesus on the way. And that is a powerful statement to us because so often when we receive blessings from God, we perceive them as blessings for our own use rather than blessings to use as an expression of our discipleship of Jesus. And that's what makes Bartimaeus such a great disciple, is that he used that gift of sight to follow Jesus more closely. And if that were so true with all of us, then we could be great disciples, as, as Bartimaeus was, and as Jesus has been teaching us during these last several weeks. A wonderful reflection, Bishop Muggenberg, as we go on our way, if you'd be so kind as to wrap us up with your blessing this week. The Lord be with you. And may the blessing of Almighty God, whose mercy comes to us every day, always inspire us to be great disciples like Bartimaeus. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. And thank you, Bishop Muggenberg. And now it's time for another episode of Glenn Story Corner. Our story today is called The Gift of the presents. Barely the day started and it's already six in the evening. Barely arrived on Monday, it's already Friday. And the month is already over, the year almost over, and already 40, 50, or 60 years of our lives have passed. And we realize that we lost our parents, friends. We realize it's too late to go back. So let's try, despite everything, to enjoy the remaining time. Let's keep looking for activities that we like. Let's put some color in our gray. Let's smile at the little things in life that put balm in our hearts. And despite everything, we must continue to enjoy with serenity this time that we have left. Let's try to eliminate the afters. I'm doing it after. I'll say after. I'll think about it after. We leave everything for later, like after is ours, because what we don't understand is that afterwards, the coffee gets cold. Afterwards, priorities change. Afterwards, the charm is broken. Afterwards, health passes. Afterwards, the kids grow up. Afterwards, parents get old. Afterwards, promises are forgotten. Afterwards, the day becomes the night. Afterwards, life ends, and then it's often too late. So let's leave nothing for later, because still waiting to see later, we can lose the best moments, the best experiences, 
the best friends, the best family. The day is today. The moment is now. We're no longer at the age where we can afford to postpone what needs to be done right away. It looks like an eternity, but it's a short trip. Enjoy life and always be kind. Ephesians 5, 15 and 16 says, Watch carefully then how you live, not as foolish persons, but as wise, making the most of the opportunity, because the days are evil. Thanks, Glenn. Stay with us. We have much more on John Paul II next hour. We'll see you then.